Good morning, everybody. My name is Lauren, and I've been asked to read 1 John 2, verses 7 to 11. Dear friends, I am not writing you as a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Well, thank you, Lauren, and good morning to you. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and so glad to be with you this morning. At the risk of stating the obvious, we have a bigger stage. And uh, some of you may have questions about that. And uh, one of the reasons why we wanted to, to extend, extend the stage is that we have oftentimes uh, external uh, groups that come in here and our stage has been too small to house them. Uh, we have different things that we want to do at Christmas and Easter that sometimes gets limited because of a smaller stage and so we have what's called the Legacy Fund and in that Legacy Fund is money set aside for projects like this that will leave a legacy that go beyond our lifetime and so we drew some money from that to extend our stage. It's still under construction a little bit but if you have any questions about the stage uh, just come and talk to us, the elders the pastoral staff, Rod and myself, we'd love to be able to answer those questions. And in the future, I'm going to actually be closer to you, which I actually really like. And, uh, but today, because of the lighting, I'm standing back here. So with all that said, today we are continuing in our teaching series in 1 John. Now, 1 John is a letter in the Bible that, as we've said and we've seen already in these opening weeks of this series, is that it's got some of the most uh, black and white language in the entire Bible. This is John's writing style. This is how he teaches and drives home his point. And we're going to see that again today in our text, as we've already read. But it's also a letter that has as one of its main themes the idea of love. Love is actually one of the main themes that is throughout from start to finish John's letter. And when I say love, I'm not talking about romance, novel love, or the romantic comedy that you go to with your boo over at the theater that you go and watch. What I'm talking about is a kind of love that is defined not apart from God, but directly connected to who God is and what he's done. I'm talking about a love that is rooted and revealed in Jesus, a holy love, the most powerful and real love that there is. It's love. Love that moved Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. It's love that motivated Jesus to go to the cross and to lay his life down for you and for me. This is the love that we are talking about today. And this is the love that is on John's mind, the author of this letter. This is on his mind and specifically the type of love as it pertains to how we love one another in our relationships in the church. And one of the ways John likes to teach about what it looks like and doesn't look like to follow Jesus is, as we've seen, as was read by Lauren, is that he likes to bring together two opposite things to teach about what it looks like and what it doesn't look like to follow Jesus. And John's hope, the purpose for why he does that, is that he wants to form our thinking and practice of what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be the church, the community of those who follow Jesus. 
And so here, again, as he's already done in this letter, he brings together light and darkness, but this time he's now going to add love and hate into the mix, saying, dear friends, church, you must walk in the way of love. You must walk in the way of love. There's no other way. There's no middle ground. There's no room for compromise. There's no half-heartedness to this. To follow Jesus and to be a part of his church, John says you must walk in the way of love. In another letter in the Bible written by a guy named Paul to the church in Corinth, Paul said that the way of love is the most excellent way It's the most excellent way. There's a lot of ways you can go, Paul says. There's a lot of things we can prioritize, a lot of things we can pursue, and a lot of them are really good things, but Paul and John would say that the way of love is the most excellent way of all. According to the teaching of those who met the resurrected Jesus personally, this is is true. The way of love is the most excellent way of all, and we need this reminder as the church from time to time. We need this to be brought to the forefront from time to time, and I think especially that we need it now, given everything that is going on in the world right now. Like, I think we need a reminder about love. Because if you look around the world right now, there's so much hate, there's so much darkness, there's so much evil, isn't there? Like, everywhere we turn, we see it. There's what's happening in Israel and Gaza. There's what's continuing to happen in the Ukraine. Horrific things, things that show us that evil and darkness are present in very real ways in our world. But it's not just there. Millions of people around our world are being trafficked right now, and they are nothing more than a commodity to buy and sell. There's mass shootings happening almost every single weekend. There's racial injustice. People groups are being oppressed and persecuted. There's natural disasters like earthquakes that are affecting thousands of people. People are dying. There's the epidemic of loneliness and exploitation, and I could just keep going on and on, but you get the picture. You know and you feel that there's so much hate and there's so much darkness in the world right now. And I don't know about you, but when I'm faced with that, when I, when I see the magnitude of it, I feel really disheartened, very discouraged, very overwhelmed, and I don't know what to do. I mean, what can you do? These things are so massive. These things are so big. They're so global in their power. We might not be able to do much, but I do think there's one thing we can do, and that's pray. Prayer has power. And so before we go any further, actually, I really want to pray for our world and what's happening in it right now. And so would you bow your heads and join me? I'm going to pray uh, for us, and at the end, you can agree by saying amen. But bow your heads, and let's, let's pray for the world and what's happening in it right now. Jesus. You are mighty God, the light and hope of heaven. You are the prince of peace. You rule and reign as king over a kingdom of justice and power. You are above everything and nothing is impossible for you, Jesus. Prince of peace, we cry out to you today for the world you created and say, Lord, have mercy. How long do we have to watch as nation invades nation, as innocent people die and the powerful oppress the weak? How long do we have to see this and see injustice and war continue, Jesus? How long do we have to wait? Lord, have mercy. Prince of Peace, we cry out to you today for the people of Israel and Gaza and the lands you walked with your very feet. 
We pray for the ongoing war in the Ukraine, Jesus. We pray with all our hearts for these conflicts and the people who have lost loved ones, for those who have been captured and tortured, and for those who have lost their homes, those who are living in fear, for all of those who are affected by this. We pray, Jesus, for them, and we ask that you'd be close to them. We pray and stand against the evil of terrorism and violence being inflicted upon the civilians of Israel and Palestine. We ask that you would protect the women, the children, the families, and the communities being affected by this hatred. We ask for you to intervene, Jesus, and bring peace. We ask for a supernatural de-escalation of these conflicts, for violence to cease, and for restraint to somehow happen. We pray for peace in relationships and peace in the political world. Do what only you can do in these situations, Jesus. Have mercy for the lost, for the hurting, the oppressed, the traffic, the lonely, those struggling in darkness and pain. We cry out to you and say, come Holy Spirit. Come into these situations. Come into the dark places of the world and bring the light of Jesus. Push back the darkness. Extinguish evil and help us. Give us a hunger to pray, trusting that you are the one who can do all things, things that are far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. We pray for these things. We call on you today, Prince of Peace. We love you and ask that you would have mercy. Have mercy. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for praying. Prayer is powerful. It's powerful. And I don't know if you know this, but love is powerful too. It also has power to push back the darkness. It also has the power to push back the hate. Martin Luther King Jr., leader in the civil rights movement, he wrote about this. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so if you want to drive out darkness, you need to meet the darkness with the light. If you want to, to drive out hate, then you need to meet that hate with a power called love. Martin Luther King Jr. brought this thinking into the civil rights movement to battle racial injustice. And here in 1 John, we are being encouraged to bring this kind of love into the relationships that we have within the church. And John says, when we do that, the true light, which is already shining, gets brighter and the darkness begins to pass away more and more. And so in the face of such darkness, we can't do a lot, but we can pray and we can seek to love one another with the help of God. And this is what John is getting at as he kicks us off in verse 7, saying, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command, its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So John starts and says, dear friends, dear friends. This is, this is John expressing affection to the church, to the people that he's writing to. Remember, he's a spiritual father who's been entrusted with this group of churches that he actually has a love in his heart for the people that he's writing to and he has this burden for them that they would know and love Jesus truly and follow him and that they would learn and continue to live in the way of Jesus together as the community of God's people. He has this burden and so he begins his teaching today on love by reminding the church of who they are. John speaks about identity, of who they are because of what Jesus has done. He says, you're God's beloved. 
You're recipients of God's love. You are those who are dearly loved and valued. Your family, your brothers and sisters who have been joined together by your common faith in Jesus. This is who you are, John says. You are God's dearly loved and valued kids, your family. Now, one of the things I've struggled the most with in my life, and that I really hope that our two boys don't struggle with near to the extent that I do, and I'm determined that they're not in my power and with the help of God, is that I really struggle with believing that I'm somebody who's worthy of love. I believe that for so long. There's been situations in my life and relational trauma that has come, and it has deeply wounded me and affected me so much so that sometimes when I look in the mirror, sometimes when I go through my daily life, I don't think I'm worthy of love. And like I said, I'm so bound and determined that my two sons, seven and four, are going to grow up, and they are going to know deep within their heart that they are dearly loved and valued by God and by their dad, that I do this little thing with them. I call them close. And I get down on their eye level and I whisper very quietly and I say, hey, buddy, can I tell you a secret? And they lean in close and they go, hey, what's the secret, daddy? I want to know. And I say, I love you. And you're my best buddy. And it warms my heart because their eyes light up and they smile to hear from their dad, their father, that he loves them, that he sees them, that he values them. And it's funny because I know they're starting to get it because I've done this enough that when I call them close and I get down and my voice gets low, they go, I know, Daddy, I know, you love me, okay. (laughs) And they kind of say, like, you know, whatever, whatever, Dad, like, but I know they're getting it. It's getting into them. My goal is I'll never forget that. And here's John's goal, is that he doesn't want the people who follow Jesus, he doesn't want you, or the church he's writing to, to ever forget that you are loved and that you are dearly valued by God. And so as your pastor today, I want to tell you you're loved. Unconditionally, fully and completely, hard stop by the Father because of Jesus and your faith in him. You're loved. You're dearly valued by God. And John wants that to get into us This is who you are, and don't forget it. You're loved, and you're also, you're a family because of Jesus. See, this is an invisible reality that Jesus has brought to life. John's saying, do you know that by this phrase, dear friends? Paul, we've already talked about him in a letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, right? For he himself, talking about Jesus, that Jesus is our peace. He's the one who has made the two groups, Jewish people and Gentile people, one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Hear this, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And so Jesus, when he died, he makes a way for our sins to be given, for us to be made new, to become new creations. But when he died, he also brings us into a new family that our faith actually brings us into a new family, the people of God, that he broke down the barriers that divide us, all the hostility, all the barriers that were erected between the Jewish and Gentile people. Jesus demolished them by his blood on the cross when he shed it. And he brought them together into one new people called the church, and he made them into a family. Jesus did this. He took all the nails. 
in his wrists and his feet, and he suffered to bring down the walls of hatred and all that would divide us. And because of this and because of your faith in Jesus, John says, we are family. So I want you to take a second and look around you. You can do it. It's okay. You're allowed to look around in church. Look around you. We're a family. Brothers and sisters united by the bond of faith in Jesus that can never be broken. We are a family because of Jesus, and this family, according to Jesus, is to be marked by love. Which is where John turns next as he makes not just a reminder of who we are, but he also makes a reminder of the call to love. John's language, though, is kind of confusing here. He says this is, a, this is not a new teaching. It's actually an old one, but it's also kind of new at the same time. And it's like, which one is it, John? Well, actually, it's, it's both. It's a confusing way to say it, but what John is doing is saying this is both an old and a new teaching. It's old because it stretches back to the formation of God's people, Israel. This call to, to be a people of love was right there from the very beginning after God rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt. He brings them out to a mountain called Sinai and he starts to form his people. And one of the ways that he forms his people in the, in the Bible, in a book called Deuteronomy, is this. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. For the people of God, this is the first and most important teaching that God ever handed to them. That love for the God of heaven and earth, the God who rescued his people out of slavery, the God who rescues us out of the darkness through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we are to love him with all that we are, with all our capacity from the inside out. This is the first and the most important teaching for the people of God. And then in a book called Leviticus, which I know is your favorite book of the Bible, and that a lot of you are reading that in your devotional time, the next important teaching was this. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so after loving God, the most important thing that God's people were to be about and are to be about is to love others, to love one another, and not just the ones you get along with, not just the ones you agree with, not just the ones that think like you do and are affiliated with the political party that you are and, 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 and walk with you in your theological stream, not just those people, the people you like and get along with and have grown up with for your entire life. When, we, when, when God says, love your neighbor as yourself, he means all people. Everyone is your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor because they bear the image of God. The thumbprint of God is on your life. And we're to love every single person as ourselves. We're supposed to love them how we'd want to be loved. Love God, love people. It's always been at the heart of what it means to be the community of God's people. And that's why it's an old teaching, but it's also a new teaching. Because hundreds of years after God gave this teaching to his people, God himself came to his people in the person of Jesus. He left heaven behind. He came to earth, took on the form of humanity. He was just like us in every way without losing his divinity in any way. And now God was present with his people in a never-before-seen way. And one time, Jesus was asked, this guy came up to me and said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? What's the most important teaching of God? And Jesus' answer was the same as it has always been. Love God, 
love others. Love God, love others. With the arrival of Jesus on earth, the call to love was still central, but Jesus, Jesus, he also raises the bar. He also deepens the call to love in in an unbelievable way, and that's why it's a new teaching. It's new because it took on a new depth and a new beauty which was never seen before, and it's now seen most clearly in Jesus. See, near the end of Jesus' ministry, there's a story in what's called the Gospel of John. It's one of the biographies of Jesus' life. And Jesus is there, and he knows that the cross is looming. He knows that he's about to go back to heaven and be with the Father. And so there's this story that takes place in John 13. And Jesus is, he's eating dinner with his closest friends. And he knows what's going to happen. He knows what he is about to walk through. And he knows he has to prepare his followers for what's next because he knows that they are going to be the ones that are going to carry his mission on. That what Jesus began, he is now going to to inaugurate it with his death and resurrection. He's going to send them to continue what he has started. And so he starts to prepare them. And the way he does that is by doing something completely unexpected. Now picture this moment with me. And if you have to, close your eyes if that helps. But picture this moment with me. Jesus and his closest friends... They spent three years together doing everything together. They're having dinner at a table. Table is full of good wine and good food and bread. Everyone is stretched out. They're all enjoying themselves. There's good conversation. There's laughter. It's relaxed. This is a good meal. And in the middle of it all is Jesus, God in human form. See him looking at his friends. And not just looking at them, but looking at them with eyes of love. Picture him there among them, and then picture him all of a sudden quietly getting up and going over to where the water is kept. Watch as he slowly takes off his robes, and he wraps a towel around his waist and pours water in a basin. And at this point in time, everyone in that room, like, their eyes are all on Jesus. The conversation stopped. Like, what is Jesus doing? Like, there's probably so many moments that they've had just like this, but what's Jesus doing? Well, he's, he's doing the job of the lowliest servant. He's doing the job nobody wants to do. He's washing the dirty, mud-caked feet of his friends. One by one, he's going down on his knees and cleaning feet that were sweaty and smelly from walking all day in the heat and the dust. He even washes the feet of the one who was going to betray him just hours from this moment. Watch him do it. And then I'll watch him finish, and he returns to the place at the table and hear him say this, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so Jesus says, serve one another like I have served you. To the extent of doing the lowliest job of all the servants. Follow my example, Jesus says. Wash each other's feet, and then he says the new teaching, the new command. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, if you haven't, open your eyes. See, this call to love one another is the call to love that John is now making as the new teaching, the new command of Jesus in our letter And as John writes this, this moment is in his mind. He's remembering this night because John was there. John watched all of this unfold. He saw Jesus do this with his own eyes. 
He's thinking about Jesus doing what not even the Jewish slaves would do. They actually thought it was beneath them. So this was only a job for the Gentile slaves. And he saw Jesus do this with his own eyes. And he's remembering the words that Jesus spoke. And now he's looking down with his very own eyes on the hands that formed the universe, washing his dirty, caked, muddy feet. You don't think John was impacted by this? Do you think that? Do you think that this wasn't seared into his soul and a passion of his for those who would follow Jesus? Because it was. Because years later, he is now writing with this image in mind and this kind of love in his heart because he experienced it firsthand and he's calling the church to say, love one another. Love one another like Jesus has loved you in a sacrificial, humble, other-oriented way. In the way Jesus loved me in this moment. No one is too important or above this call because Jesus sure wasn't. No one can say this isn't for me because it, it was for Jesus. He went first and showed us the way of love both here and in John 13 and ultimately at the cross, the love we're to have for one another is a Jesus type love. So you wanna know what kind of love you're ha- supposed to have for one another? Look to John 13 and then look at the cross. It's love that is costly, selfless, other-oriented, the kind of love that doesn't have boundaries. It crosses the boundaries of things like age and nationality and income and political differences and all those different things that we naturally erect or the world around us expects us to erect between people. And Jesus says he even includes loving your enemies. That's right, even your enemies. Jesus said it like this, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. It doesn't mean be their friend or live in relationship with them. It doesn't mean be a doormat. It doesn't mean that you just don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean you forget what that person did to you. But what it does mean, Jesus is teaching, is that we look at every single person, even our enemies, as worthy of God's love and our compassion. This is the love of Jesus. Beautiful, powerful, costly, unexpected, put others first. It sacrifices and sees every person as worthy of love. This is the teaching of Jesus for his followers. And I like what N.T. Wright says about this. He says, all other commandments, the detail of what to do and not to do, are the outflowing of this love. The love which has been newly revealed in Jesus, the love which God now intends, should be revealed in and through all those who follow Jesus. So this call to love is not just a call, it's actually a way of life. Jesus spoke about it, Jesus modeled it, and then now he's handed it down to us, and he's asked us to express it and embody it in our relationships with one another. John says it like this, its truth was seen in Jesus and is now being seen in you. Its truth was seen in him and in you. In other words, the reality and power of love was seen in Jesus, and now it's meant to be seen in his followers. Your life is meant to make visible the love of Jesus. Our life together is meant to make visible the love of Jesus. This is John's point. And here's the thing. I see it happening here. I do. I want to encourage you, Central Heights. I see it when you slow down to be present to someone and to really listen to them. I see it when you pray with someone or you encourage them and speak words of life into them. I see it when you move toward the person who's brand new here and is totally alone and you actually go towards them and say, hey, come into community with me. I see you doing that. 
I see it when you visit someone in the hospital or, or you go to the house of someone who's homebound to just sit with them and have tea or coffee with them and to listen to them and, and to lift their spirits. I see it when you make a meal for someone and bring it to them to bless them. I see it when you forgive someone, love someone who isn't easy to love. When you pack hampers to give to people who can't afford food. When you give to a Thanksgiving offering that will touch people's lives all around the world. When you give up your time to serve and love others. When you show up for somebody in your community group to support them. When you do this, you are making the love of Jesus visible. And you're doing it, church. You're doing it. I celebrate that. And at the same time, we can grow in this. We can grow in this. See, I ask God to grow us into a community that loves well because the measure of maturity in God's kingdom is love. It's love. And I was reminded of this the other day. I was reading this blog and it asked this question, like, how will you measure your life? How will you measure your life? What metrics do you use? Or should you use to make sure your life really matters, that it's pointed at the right things, that it's aligned with the value system of God's kingdom? Those are some good questions, like how do you measure your life? What metrics do you use? And it was interesting in this, this blog because the author didn't answer the questions. He asked another question. He says, I wonder how Jesus would answer these questions. And he went on to write this. Jesus doesn't seem to be worried about what we worry about. He didn't seem to worry about outcomes like we do or the applause of the crowd. What was he worried about? He was worried about loving God and loving people. So in other words... Jesus' concern is that you and I, we would become people of love. And it's John's concern too. Because love is the mark and measure of maturity in God's kingdom. David Banner in his book, Surrender to Love, this is what he writes. Love is the acid test of Christian spirituality. If Christian conversion is authentic, we are in a process of becoming more loving. If we are not becoming more loving, something is seriously wrong. See, a life without love misses the point. So you can have all the theological knowledge. You can be the smartest person in the room. You can have incredible gifts. You can have the power to pray and move mountains. But the Bible, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, says if you don't do any of that with love, you're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You are nothing and you gain nothing. You miss the point. If love is not the driving motivation of your life. If you're without love, then you're missing the point. And John takes us there next in verse 9 and 11. Check this out. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Hate has no place in God's house or among God's people. The word John uses for hate is an intense dislike towards someone for some reason, over a prolonged period of time. It's to, it's to have this deep-seated attitude and disposition of the heart that is unloving towards someone for some reason. And when that happens, John says, it reveals the absence of God's light in your life. He says, you're in darkness. The realm of unrighteousness and evil. Even though you claim to be in the light. So if there's hate in your heart and there's no repentance, then it reveals something about your relationship with Jesus and which realm you live in, the darkness or the light. 
And John has to speak this way to the churches because there was a group of people in the churches who were there, who had been at the beginning of these churches being formed. They'd left, but they'd come back, and they claimed that they had this new and better way to follow Jesus. They believed they were the evolved ones, the enlightened ones, that they'd found something that set them apart from everyone else, and it caused them to have this spiritual elitism that is so damaging and so ugly. They thought, hey, we're more spiritual than you. We've got real faith, you don't. We're in the know, we've got it figured out, we're the ones who have it right, you don't. And this, this attitude was, was prideful, and it lacked love, and it was ripping relationships apart. And John, he's writing against this. He's pleading with the church, reminding them that this is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of love. And you might be thinking, well, I'd, I'd never do anything like that. And you're probably right. But have you ever become angry with someone's opinion or their political affiliation and held on to that too long? Do you ever see your theological position as better than someone else's? Have you ever made a judgment about someone based upon their appearance? Have you harbored resentment towards somebody? Have you spoken about someone behind their back in hurtful ways? Have you kept people at a distance or not included them because they're different than you or they don't see things in exactly the same way you do? Have you ever withheld forgiveness? Have you ever not moved towards someone who's alone? Have you spoken harshly to someone behind their back or about them? See, if you've answered yes to any of this, then in that place, you've actually been unloving. And I'll go first. I admit there are parts of my life where hate has lingered too long. And I feel justified by it because the people that harmed me were in the wrong and they shouldn't have done what they did And so I will admit and go first that there is darkness in me, that hate lingers too long sometimes, which isn't fun to stand in front of a room of people and say that. But the first step to moving out of the darkness and into the light is to acknowledge that the darkness and the hate that is in the world can also be inside you too. It's much easier to look at the world and the people around you and say, well, they have that, but I don't. But it's one other thing to actually look inside and go, where is this present in my life? And we often feel justified for what we feel, don't we? Can I just say that if someone wronged you, then you are justified in your anger. You are justified. They should not have done that to you. That was wrong. In some cases, it was even evil what they did, and it should not have happened. And so you are justified with your anger, but at the same time, when we hold on to hate, something we have to remember is that it doesn't just hurt others, it also hurts us. It hurts ourselves. Verse 11, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. The hatred we hold on to reveals the absence of God's light in our life. In fact, in the unloving places of our life, it reveals that in that place, we're actually living in the realm of darkness, not the light. And John says, when you hold on to hate, instead of releasing it, it actually pushes you deeper into the realm of darkness, and it starts to cement your place there. That the realm you actually live in, whether it's, if you, if you love others, you'll move deeper into the realm of light. But if you hate and you hold on to that hate and you don't repent about it and it continues, you actually get pushed deeper and deeper into the darkness. And so you stand where there is no light and you become comfortable there. And what John wants, what Jesus wants is for all of us to come back to here, to the light. 
because the darkness consumes you over time. It disorients you. It blinds you from seeing clearly. And worst of all, it does something to your soul. It damages your soul. And John is, he's warning us against hate and the power it has in our lives. And so let me ask you today, is there any place in your life where a lack of love is lingering? Is there any place, even if it's just a little bit, where it lingers? Can I tell you, if it is there and you're holding on to it, you're hurting your soul. Even if you're justified in your anger, holding on to it is damaging your soul. And if you want to live in the light, you have to face the darkness that's inside of you and what it's caused you to do. That's the first step. Because to move out of the darkness and to come into the light means you must acknowledge the darkness in you. And then you need to let that move you towards God and not away from him, which is so often our response. But can I tell you we have better reasons to move towards God than move away from him? By way of reminder, when you acknowledge that darkness in you, what does John write in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9? He says, if we confess our sins, so if we bring our darkness to God, what is he? He's faithful and he's just and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, God's promise is that when we bring this to him, he is going to forgive us. He is going to purify us from the darkness in our life. But we have to bring that to him. We can't stay in the shadows. We can't stay in the darkness. We have to have the courage to bring it to the light. And the light is painful. It exposes you. But as we practice this, as we continue to bring ourselves before the loving and just Father, we find that he is gracious, that he is merciful. And then over time, he will purify that darkness more and more from our lives. And so what we need is a new kind of power to get us out of the darkness and into the light. It's not enough to just decide to be loving and go on and do it in your own strength. You need something more. And I would argue that it's the redemptive power of love that has the power to move you out of hatred and out of darkness and into the light and into the love that we have. I'm going to quote Martin Luther King Jr. again because he's gold on this. We don't have it on the screen, but listen in. We must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. Because when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. But love, love is the only way. And so how do you discover or rediscover the redemptive power of love? Well, you need something supernatural to happen in you. And that starts with you getting your eyes on Jesus. It starts with you fixing your gaze on the one that we sang about already, whose arms were opened wide, hanging on a cross. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows us his love in this. That while we were still sinners, while we were still living in the darkness, while we were still living apart from God, Jesus in love came and he died for us. And if you want to know how deeply you are loved by God, just look to the cross and the outstretched arms of Jesus and you will know this is how much he loves you. That he would lay his life down for you. And when you get your eyes on Jesus, when you see his life, when you see the way he loved, and when you see him hanging on to the cross out of love for you, it does something in your heart. It begins to change you on the inside it, and you begin to experience a love that is unlike anything this world has ever seen. And then all of a sudden you start to feel that love come out of you. As that love gets a hold of you and you surrender to God's work in you to form you into a person of love, you will begin to love like Jesus. It will just happen. And sometimes when we hear talks like this, we think it has to be a big and extravagant love, but it doesn't have to be that. 
One of my favorite theologians is Gandalf from The Lord of the Rings. In The Hobbit, he says this, I have found that it is the small everyday deed of ordinary folks that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. So it may be big acts of extravagant love and kindness. It might be that, but often it's the small acts of love that make the biggest difference, like a hug, like an encouraging word when someone's down. By showing up and just simply being present with someone as they weep. It's by practical acts of kindness. Those kinds of things, those ordinary acts of love, they actually matter. They push the darkness away. They extinguish hate one act of love by a to- by, at a time. That's how you follow in Jesus' footsteps and bring the power of love into your relationships and into the world. That's how we do it. That's how we get started. And it starts right here in this room and in this church with this family. It starts with us opening our lives up to the, the love of God in Jesus and letting it change you. And over time as we live obediently and we live in the light and we love one another, we will become more and more loving and we will love others in the same way Jesus has loved us. And when that happens, the darkness gets put back. Evil gets extinguished, one act of love at a time. And so let me ask you, Central Heights, do you want to see the darkness push back? Do you want to see hate slowly extinguished in this world and in the world around you? then the call of Jesus is to love one another in the way that he has loved you with the help of God. It's the only way in a world of darkness and hate. That's our part to play, and it's how we do that. The privilege of loving one another in the way that Jesus loved us. Let's pray. Father, there is no love like yours. And I remember tasting your love for the very first time and being completely and utterly undone. I pray that that love, the love of the Father, expressed more clearly than ever on the cross in Jesus would pour out in this room right now in Jesus' name. It would fill hearts. It would change us to become people of love. Would we surrender to that journey? And would we walk in the way of love, the way that you showed us, Jesus? And would this old world, this world of hate and darkness and evil and brokenness, would it begin to see a light shining through the people of Central Heights? Not just in this room when we gather and everything's okay, but out in the world when we're living and working and going to school and hanging out with our friends and going to our our families' houses. Would the love of Jesus shine like a light in this city because the people of Central Heights, this community, said, yes, I want to see hatred extinguished. I want to see darkness pushed back, and I will do what it needs to be done to receive the love of the Father and with his help, love others in the way that he has loved me. Would you do that in us, Jesus? It's in your name we pray.